Hey, this is Mark Sisson, and you are listening to The Low Carb Leader. Welcome to The Low Carb Leader Podcast, a podcast focused on optimizing health and performance through a low-carb lifestyle. Every episode will bring you a step closer to living an amazing low-carb life. Come join us for this exciting journey. And here is your low-carb leader and host, Dan Perryman. Well, I'm excited about today's episode. We have Dr. Dan Stickler. He's a physician, epigenetics coach, and host of the Ironman Executive Podcast. I am your host, Dan Perryman, and you have joined me for episode 61. I'm very excited to be announcing that I will be kicking off my next group health coaching class in early December. Uh, During this class, we address all aspects of health, including mindset, sleep, stress, fitness, nutrition, and fasting all through the lens of low carb. You know, a lot of people focus on nutrition or fitness only. And what I've learned is that's really only part of the health equation. You will hear about that today, taking a systems approach toward your health. This class will give you the tools you need to create a comprehensive approach to increasing your energy, being more productive, and just feeling great. The group will involve six weekly online classes, an accountability group, a private Facebook group where everybody can share their experiences, and planning around how to implement all of this in your life. So I am definitely going to limit enrollment because I don't want the group to be too big. So if you have interest in this class right now, just email me at dan at com for more information. I will be putting out an official enrollment form in the next few weeks, but if you want to get on the list, please email me at dan at com. It's going to be a great group, and I look forward to it. So I did want to share some pretty cool news that, well, at least I think it's cool. The podcast has reached over 100 countries, and I've finally exceeded a total of 100,000 downloads. You may not be aware of the number of downloads. I know a lot of people think that all these podcasts have, you know, millions and millions of downloads per episode, but that definitely is not the case. A little fact for you, the average podcast has about 165 downloads per episode. So I, I bet that's a lot lower than you thought it was. It's definitely a lot lower than I thought it was when I first started podcasting. I thought everybody had, you know, millions of followers, but that's definitely not the case. So this podcast uh, averages in about the top 30% of fitness and nutrition podcasts on iTunes. So that's very cool. And I, I appreciate your support and I appreciate you listening to this podcast. So if you like the podcast, please share it with somebody so that they can benefit from the information as well. And as a reminder, Check out my Facebook page at The Low Carb Leader. So now on to the show. We have Dr. Dan Stickler today, MD. He was a surgeon, weight loss surgeon. He has consulted with well over 10,000 patients, and he co-founded the Appearin Academy. So Dr. Dan is very experienced in the use of genetics and epigenetics, and he bases his health coaching on your specific genes. It's a very fascinating topic. And that's actually the reason I got involved with it. Rather than just guessing at what people need, plans are based on specific genes. And as we call it, it's precision health. Very cool stuff and very exciting to me. And I hope you enjoy the interview with Dr. Dan Stickler. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dan Stickler. Well, it's great to be here, Dan. 
Yeah, very happy to have you. So you have a very interesting background. So why don't you go back to the very beginning and take us through your medical training and how you got interested in genomics of all things. All right, great. Well, I started off, I went into medical school with this idea of what medicine was about and, and quickly learned that it was not what I had in, had in mind necessarily. Uh, it was more focused on the disease model rather than on, on health optimization. So as I went through medical training, I developed an interest in really what we could do outside of the disease model to develop human optimization. And that led me into surgery because I really didn't see options in the traditional medical world for what I was doing at the time. And I got into weight loss surgery. Weight loss surgery was about taking somebody with a quality of life that was not quite optimal and helping them to develop a kind of a, a lifestyle pattern with that. And over that time, I started noticing hormonal issues with clients and I was managing a lot of their medical care. And so I wanted to learn more about hormone optimization and stuff like that. So I went into kind of an age management practice and I was doing it as a hobby on the side, just this health optimization stuff and still doing my surgery and started coming to realize that the people in the in the health optimization component were doing better with weight loss, believe it or not, long term than the gastric bypass patients. And we were also running a medical weight loss clinic and they were doing better than people that were on that. And it wasn't like we were just a, a, you know, a surgical and a pill clinic or anything like that, because we had, we had two dietitians, we had two exercise physiologists, we had a full gym, we had uh, two health psychologists on staff, and we ran classes and really did a lot of educational components with that group. But the group that was focused on weight loss, um, it was, um, you know, I, th I think it was the whole idea that their focus was weight loss, which was the issue even though they were getting similar type of educational pieces with it, the people that were focused on optimizing health had actually better outcomes. So eventually I stepped completely away from surgery. I walked away from it uh, in 2009 and just said, I'm done. I'm not going to do any more. And I focused all of my efforts on health optimization. And I'd progressed out of kind of the age management realm at that point into more comprehensive, uh, full lifestyle components. And Around 2007, I started getting into genetics, and it was more of a, an obsession with trying to have it make sense because it was not the genetics I learned in medical school. And the more I read into it, the more confusing it became, and I said, I am going to learn this. So I focused countless hours, I can't imagine how many, uh, at least 10,000, I would say, in the last 10 years into genetics because I would, I would start in the morning and it'd be, the sun would go down and I'd still be down this rabbit hole of, of genetic data that, that I was trying to read up on and make sense of. And eventually started applying that in clinical practice as, as another biometric that we would look at and realize that it had really powerful abilities to help create better outcomes for, for clients. And eventually I started teaching it because I was applying it in clinical practice, seeing great outcomes. And I said, you know, this is, this is pretty cool stuff. So I had all these clinicians that were interested in it. We started off training physicians and chiropractors. And then eventually we realized that, you know, what we're doing is not necessarily anything that requires diagnosis and treatment. 
outcomes. So we said, let's get some health coaches involved with this. And the health coaches took to it really well. Uh, we have dietitians, exercise physiologists, personal trainers, acupuncturists that, that are all in our training program and just applying this and having excellent outcomes, as you know, uh, with, with clients and using the genetic data. So that's where we are. <laughs> in the past, we've talked about this story, but tell everybody how you came about quitting your surgery practice. Cause that's pretty interesting how you've done, I believe like 3000 surgeries and, you know, dedicated your life to surgery and then take us through that kind of that year of thinking and then how you ended up just walking away from that. Well, it was, it truly, I was passionate about it. I mean, I, I was one of the earliest adopters of the laparoscopic gastric bypass uh, back in 1999. And I, actually became a national trainer and speaker for uh, one of the surgical companies. So I would go around the country and I would actually proctor surgeons in doing their first gastric bypasses laparoscopically. And I ended up doing somewhere around 3,000 weight loss operations. I started doing sleeve gastrectomies towards my latter, latter years of my career as a surgeon. But because of what I was doing on the side and because of my my overall vision of, of where I saw medicine and where I wanted to be, I started seeing this disconnect. And it was probably around 2007 when I first started to notice it. And then with a the long-term follow-up, I was seeing maybe 20% long-term success with the gastric bypass population. And it wasn't, it wasn't the fact that we weren't providing all the tools. I mean, we had all this educational piece. And I said, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. And, and at, at that point, I was about two years into my, my hobby of health optimization. And I kept saying, you know, one day I'm just going to do only this. I'm, I'm not going to do the surgery anymore. And, and I just kept saying that. And it wasn't, it wasn't happening. And so December 31st, 2009, I don't know what happened, but I finished a gastric bypass. I took my gown off in the in the operating room, and I just announced to everybody in the room that I was done, that I wasn't going to do any more surgery. And I walked out. People, they, they were kind of laughing. They were like, yeah, right. Because I, I was. I had a 300-person waiting list. I had a very successful career at it. I was good at it. And I called the office and I said, cancel all of my consults. Um, I will continue to see follow-up for the next six months, but I'm done doing surgery. And I think everybody thought I lost my mind. They, they thought I was just insane. And, and I went from a, a seven-figure income that year to, to a five-figure income the next year with my wellness, <laughs> which was, which was eye opening. Uh, but to be honest with you, it was the best year of my life. I mean, I truly just had an epic year. It was, I was finally living my purpose and that's what had happened. I thought that this surgery was my purpose and, and that realization, and it was honestly, it was more of a compromise when I look back at it. So I look back at medical school and prior to entering what I had as a vision, and purpose and surgery was that compromise of, eh, you know what, this is close enough. And it wasn't. And that's what really prompted me to finally just take the plunge. And it's been nothing but great since then. Yeah. I think that's a testimonial to following your passion, definitely giving up a, you know, seven figure practice to go into 
preventative medicine. And I think that's pretty cool, though. That's why I wanted you to share that story. You started getting involved in it, and then you created a school around it, a clinic around it. Talk about Apiron. Well, in Apiron, we were doing this whole comprehensive biospherical approach, systems-based approach to optimizing health. And genetics became a, a significant piece of that. Again, it's not a it's not an end-all, be-all. It's another biometric that we use uh, that with epigenetics and lab values and lifestyle factors and environment. So we incorporate all of that into it. But it, it just so happened I was, I was giving a talk at A4M at their national meeting in, in Las Vegas back in 2015. And uh, they asked me to submit two talks instead of one. And I submitted two. And and. The genetics was just kind of one to submit just to have a second talk to submit because I really didn't have an interest in in really doing anything further with that. It was just kind of fun to do with my clients at the time. Um, and I'd been doing it with them for about three or four years and having great outcomes. And it turned out that they accepted that talk and didn't take my brain optimization talk. And so I'm, I'm presenting this using genetic data in clinical nutrition. And at the end of the talk, I had probably 400 clinicians in the room. And afterwards, all these people came up and said, can you train me in, in doing what you do? And I had never even considered it at that point. And I said, you know what, I, I probably could. Um, and I have to be honest, I mean, I, I really did not like genetics in medical school. It was not something that had an interest to me. But this new kind of style of genetics, this polymorphism data is hugely interesting to me. And at that point, I realized that I was doing something that very few people were doing and that I could actually train them and help to shift this paradigm of sick care into a paradigm of more human potential optimization. And so that was what was really exciting to me. You talked about polymorphism data. Talk a little bit about that and epigenetics, because I'm sure some of the listeners right now are have probably a basic understanding of genetics and they, they believe that it's, you know, the whole nature versus nurture debate of you're destined with what you're born with. Kind of talk about how much is based on genes and how much is based on environment and what we do every day that affects our genomic. Well, the best way to look at it is to consider the uh, genetic code like a computer. It's the hardware and that the epigenome, which is this, this, kind of overlying template that decides what genes actually are turned on and off is the software. So each of our cells has a different software loaded on it. It's going to express different portions of that computer's hardware. And yet every cell in our body has the exact same computer hardware. So the code's the same everywhere in our body. And people tend to think of genetics as as destiny. And, and that's something that we have we have completely thrown out the window and said, you know what, this isn't the deal. And and yet we still see a lot of health coaches and, and even clinicians that focus on genetics as more of a, of a predestined type of thing, which, it, which it's not. I mean, over 99.5% of our genetic code, which is those little base pairs that make up us, and there's 3 billion of them in each of our, in each of our makeups, but 99.5% and greater is identical among every individual in the population. And so what we talk about when we talk about um, you know, genetic predispositions and things like that, we're talking about that half a percent of difference 
among every individual. And that half a percent is those base pairs that we call polymorphisms. These are differences that you get, like a, a redheaded person is going to have a genetic polymorphism of their, their melanin gene. So they're going to have a base pair coding that's a little different than the person with brown hair. And so that's going to create that redheaded individual. And that's usually inherited with other polymorphisms that, that kind of group together. These are called haplotypes. So they're going to uh, have fair skin, you know, green eyes, whatever. But those are the polymorphisms. Those are the differences. And now a lot of people have taken polymorphisms and attributed it to mutations or diseases. And, and they really aren't. And this is, this is an area that, that I really have a pretty strong opinion on in that we should never be calling polymorphisms mutations. Uh, you know, it'd be like calling a redheaded person a, mut a mutant uh, because they carry that variation in that melanin gene. And it's, it's not the case. We use it a lot in like MTHFR and APOE status. So you'll see a lot of these websites that promote, oh, do you have the, the MTHFR mutation? And, and to me, that, that just tells me that the person who is writing that or is promoting that really doesn't have a full understanding of genetics and that they are really focused more on marketing, to be honest with you, <laughs> right. um, because it's a fear attack. And MTHFR is, is certainly not a mutation by any stretch. I mean, you're talking about mutation has to occur with a uh, recessive allele in less than 1% of the population, which is the, the risk allele, as most people will put it. And yet in MTHFR in the United States, we have 25% of the population carry the MTHFR risk allele. And then we have people in uh, Mediterranean and African who have even greater. So certainly not a mutation, but it is a polymorphism. And these polymorphisms are adaptations in our genetics that adapted to specific environments. So if we if we live in an African environment where we have low exposure to saturated fats, but we have high risk of, um, of pathologic infections, then the APOE4 status, which is that risk for Alzheimer's, you know, if, especially if you eat high saturated fat, that risk of Alzheimer's is actually a beneficial allele to have because it protects us from the uh, pathogenic infections to a greater degree than the person who carries the what we call the normal APOE, which is the 3-3, but they're also not in an environment where they have a high saturated fat intake. So they don't get the negative effects of the gene, but they get the positive effects of that variant. And that's why that survival aspect of it, this, this thriving that occurs with these variations is specific to environment. So what we do with genetics and the best way to, to do this is to try to adapt your environment to the genetic adaptations that you've developed. And in that regard, somebody carrying an APOE 3-4 or 4-4, we're going to recommend kind of a lower saturated fat diet for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I don't think people realize like, constantly your cells are scanning the environment. This is not just an occasional thing. It's everything that you're doing constantly. Your cells are adapting to what you are doing, whether it's good or bad. Right. It's just like, you know, if, 
if you're in your house and you walk outside and it's raining, you go back inside and you grab an umbrella or you grab a raincoat. Okay, so you have changed something in order to respond to that environment. And every cell in our body is is constantly doing that. I mean, every cell, this isn't like a an organismal level change. This is at a cellular level, each cell is constantly sampling the environment that it exists in and saying, what do I need to change to adapt to, to stay in homeostasis, to stay in this balanced state all the time? Am I in a high stress environment? Am I seeing a lot of stress hormones out there? Okay, well, what adjustments do I need to make? Like in the liver, the cells may say, wow, I'm seeing a lot of cortisol out there. I need to crank out some more glucose. So it's going to start breaking down glycogen in the liver and raise your, your glucose levels in the blood because it's saying there's a high stress environment and I need to have an, I need to provide these necessary tools to survive in this environment. Um, so this is that, that epigenetics piece of it. I mean, we do things and, and don't realize how impactful they can be. I mean, if we exercise, uh, we can exercise for six months at moderate levels and we're going to change the expression of seven over 7,000 genes. So we're changing the way these genes express themselves throughout our body. And how impactful is that? Well, we only have 23,000 genes in our body. We're changing a third of our genes with chronic exercise. And some of them are upregulated. Some of them are downregulated in their expression. But it all comes down to we know exercise is beneficial. Same with meditation. Meditation, we used to, you know, it was in that, that kind of woo-woo realm. I mean, we knew the benefits of it. We didn't know why. And epigenetics has given us the evidence of what's happening. We see over 3,500 genes change with meditation. And they change in short term and they change in long term. And then we can look at foods. We can look at the fact that fish oil, short term, there's epigenetic changes just from a meal of, of fish where we eat the fish and the omega-3s in the fish actually change gene expression in that immediate time period. But if we eat fish over a long-term time period, we get even more beneficial changes in chronic gene expression. So these are the epigenetics pieces that, um, you know, we, we knew that they existed. And I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I understand that epigenetics and our manipulation of our environment in that regard, and when I say environment, I'm talking about sleep, stress, nutrition, movement, supplementation, hormones, um, brain processing, cognitive thought processing, and emotional uh, stability. We're talking about um, you know, stress responses. We're talking about the environment that we live in, you know, what exposures do we have, sunshine, water, uh, toxins, all of this, all these go into that sensing of every cell and the expression of that. So we look at how do we optimize a human system over this entire spectrum. It's not a matter of saying, oh, I need to lose weight, so I need to eat better and exercise. Well, what about your sleep? What about your stress? What about your environmental exposure? Are you getting outside in the sun? These are all things that will change our destinies. And that's, you know, that's what we train our health coaches in is understanding how to incorporate this whole systems-based approach rather than looking at just X equals Y. You know, I exercise, I lose weight, period. Okay, it's no longer that kind of a um, uh complicated system to look at we're more of a complex system yeah that systems approach is 
really important. What what I see, Dr. Dan, is that, you know, especially like in the fitness world, the nutrition world, somebody will just start exercising and that's all they're doing to, to change their health. And they don't sleep well, they're all stressed out, or, you know, they start eating healthy or trying to eat healthy and they don't change any other aspect. And that's, I mean, I guess it's beneficial in a small way, but they're kind of missing the point of optimizing their health if they're just focused on one part of the system. Well, and the other thing is this, this comfort zone, this homeostatic state. So our body is constantly striving for homeostasis. And, you know, if we are in a certain state and we say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to exercise, but we don't change our nutrition. You know, we have a certain ability to, to make adjustments to stay in that homeostatic state. So, you know, if you're, you know, 250 pounds and you're five foot six and you start exercising, that may be great. You may lose a little bit of weight, but the body's going to push back to that homeostatic state that, that it's in. It's in a comfort zone wherever it was. And in order to get out of that, you have to get out of your comfort zone with these things. And you have to take into account all the things that are contributing to that homeostatic state. You know, is it sleep? Is it stress? Is it nutrition? Is it exercise? Well, it's actually all of those. And so in order to establish a new comfort zone that the body can exist in, it's going to have to go through a little bit of stress. It's going to have to say, it's like exercise. Let's say, you know, you want to use exercise to obtain health benefits. Well, if you continue to do the same intensity, the same weights, the, the same exercise, you're going to stay in that homeostatic state because you're doing the same thing. The genes have already changed expression in that short term, and now you're in homeostasis. And there's a lot of that it can it can vary within that zone, but it's not getting pushed out of that zone. So the, the person who says, "Well, you know, this is my exercise routine." Well, you know, where is it going? How much have you really pushed it outside of that? And they'll say, "Well, I haven't," but that's what you need to do in order to get change. So if you're going and you're doing, you know, 50 push-ups every day, well, that's great because after so long, you will be at 50 push-ups and your body has adjusted to a new homeostatic state, a comfort zone, that it's not going to change if that comfort zone isn't pushed one way or the other outside of that. So you could say, well, I'm going to do 10 extra push-ups every week. And that's my goal. Well, that is gradually changing that comfort zone to a new homeostatic level. And then suddenly you're at the point where you can do 100 push-ups nonstop and you're at a new homeostatic state at that level. But that change wouldn't have occurred in the homeostasis if you hadn't pushed outside of that zone. Same with nutrition, the same with stress, the same with sleep. You've got to continually do that. Now, if you're in an optimal state of these, then all you have to do is maintain in that state. But if you drop out of that comfort zone in a negative way, your body will adjust to a new comfort zone there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What is the difference between your approach and just a regular health coach? Kind of take us through the process of why the coaching that you do and your coaches do are, is so specific and so successful. Well, I, th I think the biggest thing is that most coaches have a specialty. So you'll find the person who is the um, you know, the personal trainer, the exercise person who really understands fitness really well, but then they have kind of a side piece of nutrition. They're not quite expert in the nutrition, but they're doing that. So you're getting fitness and nutrition there. Okay. How many of those 
trainers will address sleep, stress, thought processing, um, genetics. It, it's just it, there's missing pieces. So you, it, it's like the medical system right now where you have all of these specialists without the gatekeeper philosophy. So you don't have that primary care that's working as the person that integrates it all anymore. Uh, we've gotten too specialized in this. And, you know, here this person's for your kidneys. This one's for the heart. This one's for your lungs. This one's for your blood. And they don't communicate with each other. And that's where we are in, in wellness as well, health and wellness. So we may have a dietitian who's really great on dietetics and maybe they're good with stress and maybe they know a little bit about fitness, but they're missing certain pieces of it. And that's what I find in the systems approach is that when we address all the pieces, that's where we get the outcomes. And, you know, that's the success of, of my medical practice is that we have taken that to that level and incorporated all pieces of it. So, you know, I'm talking with somebody, you know, a, a, a business executive that comes in and they said, you know, really, I, I'm, I'm just out of shape. I want to get back in shape and, and all this. So they're looking for nutrition. They're looking for fitness. They're looking for hormonal balance. But then I'm asking them, you know, about things just like, are you living your life's purpose? You know, I mean, how many times does a coach ask you if you're living your life's purpose? A business coach might, but a health coach, it, it's not something that's generally talked about, but it is really important in helping someone to achieve optimized health. Um, you know, that that business executive, I'm going to be addressing sleep. I'm going to be addressing stress. I'm going to be addressing nutrition. It's not about this one answer to to the question, you know, how do I get there? It's not, okay, well, here's your pill and this is going to get you there. It doesn't work that way. And this is what we've, we're training the coaches in. I mean, our, our online training is 120 hours, so it's, it's pretty extensive. But we train people in doing exactly what we do in our clinical practice. I mean, apart from the prescribing of things, um, really what I do in my, in my medical practice can be done in a coaching practice. And I think this is, this is a new paradigm that we, we're trying to create or we are creating. And, you know, we have nearly a hundred coaches out there now that are trained in this, that can implement this. And, and our goal, our vision is really to help the, uh, spread the word of this limitless nature of human potential and how do we get there. And a key difference too, is that you do a genetic profile on somebody and that guides, that guides the coaching. Right. And, and it's, it's almost a shortcut, you know, we can do trial and error with people, but genetics gives us that, that piece that can shortcut a lot of that. I mean, we look at, we look at a lot of nutrition and one of the things I got completely away from weight loss after I, I left surgery and, and the medical weight loss clinic and said, there is no perfect human diet. And yet genetics brought me back into that and realizing that the perfect human diet is what is perfect for the individual. It's not a matter of, oh, well, you know, this, this is the perfect diet for you. Well, if we never migrated outside of our environments, so if the environment was consistent across the board and we gave multiple generations of, of adaptation in that environment, then there would be a perfect environment for an individual living within that environment. That's what I've kind of come to realize with the genetics and epigenetics. So uh, if you lived in a North African environment versus a Northern Canadian environment, 
you're going to have a diet that would match your environment. And that's assuming that there's no migration in or out of that population. But because we are such a diverse group of people, especially here in the United States, I mean, you know, we have huge diversity and our genetics show that. And what I found is that about the closest we can come to a perfect human diet is more of a Mediterranean style diet. But within that, we can adjust based on genetics. Are you somebody that does better on a higher fat? Are you somebody that requires extra carbohydrates in order to thrive in this environment? How's your protein intake? Is it better to have a higher or a lower protein? And it also depends on the goals. So I can look at it and say, well, you know, you've got high cholesterol, but you know, a low fat diet may be beneficial to you. I don't want to say low fat because I never really recommend low fat per se, but a moderate fat versus a high fat diet, let's say, may be beneficial for lowering your cholesterol, but it may not be the, the best diet for weight loss. So you can look at different parameters that you're trying to achieve. So when a client comes to me, I say, I don't care where you've been. I care about where you are right now, right at this moment. Where are you? from a mental, physical, you know, across the board, all of those, those um, biometrics, lab work, all of this, where are you at this moment and where do you want to be? And that's what we use to help guide them is that genetics, the lab work, the, uh, the interviews, all of that to help them to achieve that, that optimal outcome. And I have some people that's, you know, the big thing right now is this ketogenic diet. And genetically speaking, I don't find that uh, a truly full ketogenic diet is necessarily ideal. Now, a low-carb, high-fat diet tends to work really well, not only from an epigenetic standpoint, but from a genetic standpoint. But within that, I also see people who require higher carbs in order to lose abdominal fat. I mean, how many people do you know that have said, oh, I did paleo or I did Atkins and I just gained weight while everybody else lost? Well, sure enough, we find that there, there are people who require a little bit higher complex carb intake than what is um, kind of promoted on those diets. And within the Mediterranean diet, you can actually, there's a really cool version of the Mediterranean diet that is ketogenic. And it is amazing. The, the research on it is really strong with outcomes and actually better in the long term for weight loss and biometric parameters of, um, of cholesterol and, and inflammatory markers better in the long term than a full ketogenic diet for sure. Yeah. I think that's the, uh, the fascinating part of this is that we, we all try to follow certain diets, but this is a low carb podcast, but there's, there might be certain people out there that actually struggle on a low carb and like you were saying, and may do better doing something different. What's the most confusing or surprising thing you have learned about genetics over the last 10 years? Is there something that just kind of mind-blowing, or is there a lot of things that are mind-blowing because it's such a, a cool field? Yeah, I think the mind-blowing thing was how malleable our genetic expression actually is. I mean, the, the biggest thing is that I used to think genetics was a predictor of outcome, and what I have come to realize in working with clients and working with uh, understanding epigenetics a little bit more. Uh, and, you know, one of our instructors is uh, Dr. Lucia Aronica from um, Stanford who teaches epigenetics. I've come to realize how much control we have over our destiny. I, you know, I knew it was there, 
but not to the extent that I've seen in not only our outcomes with clients, but in the research data behind it. I mean, it's amazing how much we can control expressions and change outcomes for ourselves. I mean, it's just, you know, the people who say, well, you know, I have a genetic predisposition to breast cancer. Well, great, but it's not that one thing that's going to create breast cancer in you. So let's look at everything else that goes into that outcome of breast cancer. Here you are right now at this moment. You have a genetic predisposition towards breast cancer. But let's look at the 15 other factors that go into that outcome that are required to be met in order for that outcome to be expressed. So what can we do to change the things that are changeable within there? And I think that's the key is not looking at this from a fear base for sure, but looking at it from more of a uh, what can I do? What do I have control over? What are a few things that people can do generally just to kind of create positive expression in their genes? Uh, like just briefly talk about sleep and stress and nutrition, maybe just something that we should all be doing today. Well, the number one thing is get sleep. I mean, Sleep, I can't tell you how important that is in genetic expression, in overall health. It interacts with every system. So if you're not sleeping, it doesn't matter what you try to do with stress. It doesn't matter what you try to do with weight loss. Your efforts are not going to be manifested into a positive outcome as easily if that sleep is off. And the majority of people are not getting sleep. So if you're having to wake up with an alarm you're not getting enough sleep. If you're falling asleep within five minutes of your head hitting the pillow, you're not getting enough sleep. I don't use an alarm. I haven't used an alarm in probably the last five years. I wake up pretty routinely, but I also go to bed at a time that allows me to get um, seven and a half to eight hours of sleep. I just, I was just looking at my, um, I, I wear the bio strap as a, as a biometric device, as a quantified self device. And in the last month, I've averaged seven hours and 40 minutes of sleep, with the majority of that uh, being really good quality sleep. I don't have a lot of awakenings and things like that. Just being aware of where you are in that regard, because some people say, well, I'm in bed for eight hours, but you know, how much quality sleep are you actually getting in those eight hours? So sleep is, is a big deal. Stress, uh, stress is a positive thing. I mean, people look at stress as a negative thing, but it's a very positive thing in regards to survival and and bodily functions. I mean, people thrive in stress, but they thrive because they have control over the physiologic response of stress. So stress is a positive thing, but when it's chronic, it's not. And that chronic stress expresses in the physiology, and we actually have control over that. So it's not a matter of getting rid of stressors in our environment. It's a matter of actually taking control over the physiologic response to stress. So doing stress mitigation techniques like meditation or heart rate variability training, those kind of things are really beneficial there. When it comes to nutrition, I mean, generally eat a healthy diet, you know, eat whole, real foods, uh, not synthetic foods. I, and I'm also not a big fan of high saturated fats. You know, we, we see all these things about how great saturated fat is and everything like that, but I, I don't see that in a great deal of the research. What I do see is that monounsaturated fats, which is your like your olive oils and avocado oils, macadamia nuts, those kind of things, and omega-3 oils 
are really the way to go for for health optimization from an epigenetic standpoint. I just I just read an article where somebody was talking about how you know saturated fat was the thing that grew our brain, and it just drove me crazy because it was it was such it was so loosely based on on the real science of of DHA omega three. I mean DHA omega three is is the brain nectar. That is the stuff that that really helps with with genetic expressions in the brain. It's the thing that helps our brain to to grow and learn and and to sleep and everything like that. So you know those are those are things that you can do. I if you want to to look at things from a different perspective though, no longer look at fat as as a one macronutrient kind of piece of the puzzle. So it's, you know, you have your carbs and carbs we break down into simple and complex and fats should be broken down into saturated omega-9, omega-6 and omega-3. And then you have proteins and proteins are pretty much on their own as a, as a macronutrient, but the fats should be looked at not as total fats, but as how much are you taking of each of the different pieces of it. And you have to have omega-6 and you have to have some saturated fat, but you really want to keep those as a lower portion of the diet. Now, there's a certain group of people that that will do better on saturated fat. There's a certain group of people that do better on higher omega-6, but you still have to keep that omega-6 to 3 ratio in a certain parameter. And when I look at the epigenetics, omega-3s and monounsaturated fats are the strongest promoters of positive epigenetic expression that I've seen in, in any of the data that's out there, and it's really strong stuff. So I, I guess it's not really a short answer, but that's that's kind of where I would go with uh, getting started. Oh, that's a great summary. So, Dr. Dan, how can people get a hold of you and learn more about Apiron Academy and Apiron Clinic and give us all the contact information? Well, for the for the medical piece, uh, apironcenter.com, that's A-P-E-I-R-O-N center.com. And for the training academy, so for anybody who's interested in actually learning more about our trainings and becoming a coach, and, and I can tell you, we have coaches training together uh, that are physicians, chiropractors, dietitians, personal trainers, musicians, acupuncturists. I mean, we have a, a huge variety of coaches that train together, and it's really a lot of fun. We have a really strong tribe of, of people that that are doing this and are passionate about changing this whole paradigm of sick care and and how we're broken instead of how great we are and how can we be better. Uh, but go to the appearon.academy, that's A-P-E-I-R-O-N dot academy. It's not a dot com, but dot academy. And you can learn more about our training programs there. Oh, that's and, good. Oh, go ahead. And if, if you need to get a hold of a coach, I mean, we don't we don't do coaching at our Piron Center. So we have these genetic and epigenetic coaches that are out there. Um, then, you know, Dan is one of our epigenetic coaches. I'm putting a plug in for you, Dan. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. So he's gone through our training. And um, if you're in, we have people in almost every state and um, in several foreign countries right now that are uh, that are getting certified as coaches in this epigenetic practice. So you can contact me um, if you just go to the website and you hit contact us. It actually comes right to me um, or get in touch with Dan and he can get you set up with uh, with his coaching. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's really fascinating stuff. It, it really is. Well, Dr. Dan, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, you shared a great deal of information and, uh, and I'm sure you have half the listeners saying, what do you mean? Don't be low carb. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not say that. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, just kidding. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being with us today, and we hope that you are on the road to your successful low-carb lifestyle. Become a leader in your health and a leader in life. Check us out at www.thelowcarbleader.com. And remember to join Dan again next time on the Low Carb Leader Podcast.